Uh, good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and still got to be worshiping with you. And so just, just like just saying this, throwing this out there, if you're new visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're so glad to have you with us. It is an honor truly to like worship with all of you guys. And if you are new, we'd love to have you. Uh, there's a, a connect card on the other side of that wood wall there as you kind of walked in. We'd love to have you fill it out so we can just reach out, connect, let you know what Creekside's about. You can drop it in the offering box over there on the side, and we'd love to connect with you all. Um, this morning, I am excited, okay, because this morning we start a new worship series, which is, which is always, like, exciting to do, and we are, this sermon series is on worship, and um, I have to tell you, last service, we had a worship service, man. It was powerful, and we're off to a great start now, and I just, I just love, man, I love digging into something that we take for granted, okay, that get, becomes rote and routine, and that we get used to, and I love the invitation to be called into a deeper understanding and a deeper experience of that thing. So it, as, we, as we go, uh, as we look at this, we're going to be in the book of Malachi, okay? Malachi chapter 1. So I bet it's been a while since you've had a sermon from Malachi, and so here it is. Um, Malachi, just to help you out, if you have, you're looking in your Bibles, it's the last book of the Old Testament. So just a little bit before the parts that you're most familiar with. Um, I'm going to put it up on the screen as we go too, but I can't... I, I've, I've discovered this, and I'm just owning it, okay? You can't talk about worship very much without quoting A.W. Tozer, okay? That's just, I'm just owning it, and that's just what it is. Tozer was um, this great pastor, minister, writer, and just such a man just so caught up in the glory of God. And so um, he's, he's going to be uh, in this from the beginning. But here's how I want to start with him. He gives this analogy of um, a, a man who finds himself sitting on a bench in the city of Toronto, okay? And the man finds himself sitting there, and he has no idea who he is, how he got there, if he has a family, what his job is, anything. And he's just sitting there on a bench and just wondering, like, what, what am I even doing here? What's going on here? Obviously, the man has, has amnesia, okay? All of a sudden, a man in a tuxedo comes running out, and he says, Harold, thank God we found you. We've been looking everywhere for you. And when he figures out that Harold has amnesia, he explains, Harold, you traveled here to Toronto with us, the Philharmonic Orchestra, and you are our violin player, and we've got a show to do. Come on, let's go. Okay, so he takes Harold. I assume it all works out fine. Tozer doesn't address it. But here's, here's how he uses the analogy. He says, we in the American church are a lot like this sort of amnesiac violinist, okay? Because we find ourselves often sitting in a place, like sitting in a church service, okay? And we're here, and there's this sort of like fog, like, what, like how, did I, how did I get here? What am, I, what am I actually doing here? And what's the purpose of all of this? And so allow me, like Tozer before me, to be the man in the tuxedo running up and saying, thank God I found you, okay? We are here because God... Uh, sacrificed his life to purchase us with his blood to join us together into a family, and we have worshiping of that God that we're meant to do together, okay? The, the idea of this sermon series is that we are actually created to worship, and it's like we are people who have amnesia that have sort of forgotten that we have been created to worship. And so we come and we gather, and we, we do sort of offer ourselves to God, but man, we forget the, the weight and the gravity in that whole thing. And so, man, we miss out on so much, I believe, of what God is calling us to. And so Tozer says it like this. He says, Christian churches have come to the dangerous time predicted long ago. It is a time when we can pat one another on the back, congratulate ourselves, and join in the glad refrain, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. 
He says, it certainly is true that hardly anything is missing from our churches these days except the most important thing. We are missing the genuine and sacred offering of ourselves and our worship to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now this is Tozer, and he's like back in, in the uh, 20th century, okay? And he's just looking at the churches. He says, look, our churches are, are not missing anything, okay? Churches have it good. They're doing great. They, they've got everything they need, but there's one thing they're missing. People genuinely, sincerely offering themselves and their worship up to God. Now that's Tozer's assessment of the churches his day. And we could make an assessment of the churches of our day, like a big picture sense. But I'll just say the only question that actually matters is, is that true of us? Like what is true of Creekside Church now, today, us here as a family? Are we guilty of missing the most important thing, which is are we offering our hearts, our actual worship directly to the Lord or not? And this is really important. I think, I think Christians throughout the ages have recognized how important this is. The, the Westminster Confession is this like famous, important statement where they're trying to say, like, this is what Scripture is really getting at. And it d- describes for us what the chief end of man is, our goal of humanity. So the chief end of man is what? Can you guys fill it in for me? To glorify God, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And there might be some John Piperites out there would say, glorify God by enjoying him forever. Either way you look at it, they say the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I'm here to say that's not scripture, but it's right, okay? That's our purpose, all right? That is our call, is that, man, it is all about glorifying God and enjoying him. And that's what worship is meant to be about. And so I want to I say this. So worship is not, um, is not just music, okay? Often we make that mistake, and we do get into a rut where we start to think, um, okay, we have a sermon time in our services. We have a mingling and coffee time, and then we have a worship time, and that worship time is when we sing. Worship is way more than music, okay? But also it's not less than music, and there's many commands in the scriptures to sing to the Lord, um, to make a joyful noise to the Lord, even to sing a new song to the Lord, okay? And so there's these calls and these reminders that a key way that we worship is through singing, and for us in our modern church and in Creekside Church, one of the key ways that we set aside time to make sure that we as a group of people, as a family, are worshiping God, engaging him from our hearts like we should, is we set aside time, basically half our time in any given worship service on any Sunday morning, to sing to the Lord and to together just lift our hearts to him and to worship him. And so the, the call is for us to remember how, how much this matters. Eugene Peterson is another pastor that I love, and um, he explained it like this. He says, the danger for pastors is... We spend our lives, he says, handling holy things, okay? So we're taking scripture and we're handling that. We're, ta- we're talking about prayer all the time, right? We're, we're worshiping, we're singing, we're doing communion. And so we're in around all these really holy things all the time. And he says the danger is you get familiar with things that are holy. And you get complacent with things that ought not to be treated with complacence. And so he says, what he, actually his solution is we need artists to help us break out of the mold, break out of the rut, see things that are familiar in a new light to help it come alive for us. And I'm just saying, we as a church family, you guys are not any more immune to that than I am. We are handling holy things on a daily basis all of the time. And we need this reminder of, okay, when we come in here, when we join together as a group of people, and we look to worship the true God, we need to let the the over-familiarity that we've had, we need to kind of take a step back and ask ourselves the question of, what am I actually doing here? Why does this even matter? And what is the call? And man, um, 
the call is going to be in the form of a warning this morning from the book of Malachi. So um, if, you're, if you're at Malachi 1, I want us to see, this is, this is now um, God speaking to his people at a time, man, they've had the temple, they've had all this service of the Lord for years and years, generations and generations, and they're at a point where it's, it's lost its fervor, their hearts have been largely turned away from God, and yet all of the external, all the temple, all the worship, all this stuff continues on, and God sends Malachi to speak to his people about it. So he says this, uh, starting in verse 6, a son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. So here's the problem that they're dealing with, okay? There's all this coming. God's just saying, look, sons give honor to their fathers. Servants give honor to their masters. I'm a master. I'm a father. Israel, you're my people. You're my children. You're my servants. Why are you not honoring me? And what's crazy to me is the Israelites at the time, people that were doing, they were still offering sacrifices on the altar. They're still wearing all the robes and all the vestments. They're still doing all of the external things. And they're saying, God, what are you talking about? (laughs) Look around you. Look at all this stuff that we do every single day. Can you not see that we're giving you honor? And God says, no, 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 no. You're defiling my table. You're you're polluting. You're saying that my table may be despised. And they're saying, when have we ever done that? And God's saying, look, you're, you're coming. And the problem with them at the time was they were making the offerings. But the offerings were polluted. The offerings were second best. The offerings were not worthy, truly, of who God is. See, if they really cared about what God, God's heart was, God had made it clear on many occasions that what he wanted from them was for them to take the best of their flock, the best of their harvest, and offer that to the Lord. That's, this is how you show God that he is valuable, that he is worthy. The, the reality is, is for a shepherd, every sheep in his flock came ultimately from the Lord, right? For a farmer, every bit of his harvest came from the Lord. And so when the people came to offer to the Lord, they were to offer the best and the first that they had to the Lord. But what happened, and this happens to us in, in religious settings all the time, what happened is, over time, they, they, they got in the rut, they, they followed the culture, and they did the worshiping things, the religious things. They did those things, but their heart disappeared from it. And so they began to say, okay, well, I've got this really nice sheep that will get me a large price or will make good eating or whatever. And then I've got the three-legged sheep over here that I can't really use. And that's really not going to benefit me very much. It's just going to die anyways. So why don't I offer this one to the Lord? And they're doing these kinds of things. And before long, that becomes the norm of what they're doing. Now, it makes sense to me, right? If you're going to kill an animal, kill the one that's not going to be that useful, right? Wouldn't God want you to have the best sheep anyways? Wouldn't God want you to get a good price from your lamb? There's all these games that we play. But what we can see here is God is saying, you're not honoring me. Your heart is not in the things you're doing. And look, I can imagine God coming to them and saying, you know what, you guys, when you do that, it just makes me feel kind of disrespectful, disrespected, right? But God doesn't say it like that, okay? Um, he might say, like, guys, come on. Like, really? Like, can we talk about this? No, he doesn't say that anyways. What he says is, when you do these things, he says in, in um, verse 8 there, when you offer these blind animals a sacrifice, is that not 
evil. That to me is crazy to think, right? You're in God's presence. You're offering these things. It's this service that you're offering to the Lord. And God's saying, what's happening here in this room, in this space that has my name on it, that's actually evil. Like that's a really scary warning that God gives to his people. He says, try honoring, offering that to your governor. He's not even going to accept it. I mean, even back then, governors didn't get any respect from the people that they were serving, you know? He's saying, try offering. He's not going to accept it. Why would you offer this to me? They decided that it was too costly because their hearts weren't in it. Their hearts weren't devoted to the Lord. And so he's calling them back to remember what actually matters in all this. There's this huge warning here. So what, what is worship actually all about? There's a few different words um, in the, the Old and New Testaments that are used for worship. In the, in the New Testament specifically, there's two words that get used, and each of them has their sort of Old Testament equivalent, okay? So the first is proskuneo, okay? So forget about it now as soon as I said it, but it means this. It means to fall on your knees like in, in respect and honor, okay? So it's, it's like you think of anyone in the, in the Old Testament or the New Testament that has an encounter with God or an angel or something, and you see them kind of fall on their knees, fall on their faces. You see angels in heaven that are like falling on their face before the Lord or covering themselves up because of his glory. That's the idea. That's what worship means. It means falling down in a sign of like respect and, and like, man, you are worthy. I'm not worthy. And so there's this respectful posture before the Lord. The other word is latruo. And again, forget that, but it means like service to the Lord. So you think like a temple service. So you're actually performing these duties in service to the Lord. That's another way that worship is described. Both of those ideas, falling down in respect before God or, or getting busy in the service of God, both of those keep us from seeing worship as anything other than passionate service passionately pursuing God, recognizing, encountering him, and saying, I'm going to respond to who God is. And so the call for us, people who are worshipers, people who have, like, we are people that are called by the name of God, right? The call for us is to see worship as it truly is. Because what God actually wants in this world is he wants worshipers. He wants worshipers. Remember when, when God led Israel out of uh, slavery in Egypt? And he, he sends Moses to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go so that, do you remember what the so that is? Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. That's what this call was. And that wasn't just God's ruse to like get them out of there. Like that's literally what God wanted with Israel. Give me my people, let, release them so that they can be people who worship me, right? Jesus repeated that with the woman at the well in John 4. He says, um, he says the father is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth, right? The call, the invitation is God is looking for worshipers. And unfortunately, I think what happens in our churches all too often is we have church leaders that want crowds and not necessarily worshipers. But God's not interested in that, right? God doesn't care about attendance. He doesn't care how many people. He doesn't care. What he wants is what are our hearts like before him? Is the room full? Who cares? Are there people that God, like, that have their hearts set on who God is and are pursuing him. That is what God is after. Now, the warning actually gets more intense than this, so let's look a little further in Malachi. He says in verse 9, <clears throat> Now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept any offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering. For not my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So here is 
the reminder, okay? Sometimes I'm tempted to think that when it comes to worship, good enough is enough, okay? Right? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't God be glad that people are singing, right? I, I read somewhere that, like, Chris Tomlin's songs are, like, the most sung songs in, like, the universe, okay? So, like, more than the Beatles, more, like, people gather every single week to sing these worship songs to the Lord, okay? Shouldn't God be happy with that, right? But let's think about what God's saying here through Malachi. So I think, of, I think of myself, when I was a kid, I had the danger of growing up in church as a kid, and all of my earliest church memories are my dad, who was the worship leader at our church, he didn't play instruments, but he would stand in front of everybody, he would wave his hand like this, and that's how we like sang songs. So my dad was up, and my mom was either on his right playing the organ or on his left playing the piano every Sunday of my life, and we sat in the front row, and that was like my childhood, okay? Until I became a teenager, all right? And then I made the really rebellious move of sitting in the balcony with my friends. Can you imagine? <clears throat> sitting in the balcony with my friends. And the, pr- the danger of that, and my parents knew that this was going to happen, and it did, okay? The danger of that is when we s- would sing these hymns to the Lord, okay? I would be there with my hands in my pockets, and I would be with my friends who definitely knew that it was not cool to sing, and I picked that up quick, and so I did not sing, and I'd be there but man, my dad was not okay with that, okay? You can see pretty well up into the balcony from the front. And so, man, I get in trouble for that. And so I knew then from that moment on, if I go up there, my parents aren't going to be happy, but they're, they're going to like allow it kind of as long as I'm singing. So I would sit there quiet, stone-faced, and then anytime my dad's eyes would scan the balcony, I'd move my lips just a little bit to just give the impression, right? And I think it's funny because, you know, I mean, hey, I was just a kid and whatever, right? Um, but I think, you know, it's funny how I was... I had this thought of, like, the fear of my dad, right? Like, I didn't, I knew what he would say. I knew what he would do. And so I'm like, okay, I, it's not worth it. I'm going to at least move my lips, and I won't make a sound so that I don't embarrass myself before my friends. But I was so afraid about all that, right? But I didn't once think about, like, what, is, what does God want in that sense? How would God want me to sing right now? Think about the words that, that all of these godly older people around me were singing these profound words to the Lord. And here I was worried what my friends thought. Like, how dumb is that? And yet that's where my heart was. And here's what God's saying. Look, you could say, man, okay, I wish that these sacrifices were better. But honestly, guys, thank you so much for bringing sacrifices into my temple at all, right? Like, man, guys, you're getting, you're getting pretty sloppy with these gifts, but like, at least every single week, there is like sacrifices being offered to my name. So I thank you for that. Let's just try to do a little bit better. God doesn't say any of that, right? What he's saying here is crazy. He's saying, I wish that there was just one person in that whole congregation that had the guts to just go in there and shut the doors to that place and say no. Like, good enough is not good enough, right? I wish there was one person that would just douse the fires on these altars and say, do not offer, better not to offer anything to God than to offer this, because this is not coming from your heart. And what it amounts to is in God's name, you're coming to worship God, but all you're really doing is just mocking him. There's got to be someone that's brave enough. It's crazy in Malachi too, we won't look at it, but in the the next chapter, God says like, I'm going to take you out of this place. And what what I'd like to do is take the dung from the animals that you're offering and just smear it in your faces and just say, how do you like this half-hearted thing that you're offering to me? God is really worked up about this. And I think the reason is because it's all about God's worship. It's all about God's glory. It's all about acknowledging who God is. So when we worship together as a people, as a group of people, what we're doing, I think what worship amounts to is I think it amounts to two things. It's acknowledging God's presence and it's valuing that presence, okay? 
When we worship, we acknowledge God's presence and we value it. And what's happening is they were doing the external things. It's very easy to do external religious things. They didn't acknowledge God's presence, and man, they did not value his presence. And so it put them in this place where God is just letting them have it. There's an interesting parallel to this that I, I saw as I was working into it this week. And I was reading Ezekiel, or sorry, Exodus, and um, in Exodus 32, God has led his people out of slavery, right? To come to worship God, is that, that's what he said. And they've come through the Red Sea. God's miraculously saved them. He's brought them to the base of Mount Sinai. And he sends Moses down the mountain with his instructions, his Ten Commandments, that he's going to use to lead and guide these people to be his holy nation, that he's going to lead into the promised land. And they're going to be able to experience all these blessings of God with him in their midst. And when Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, what does he find? All of Israel gathered together in this intense worship service to a golden calf that they had made and said, this is our God that's leading us, right? And so Moses, it probably wasn't good, but I would have done the same thing, slams the tablets on the ground. He's angry. God's angry. Like this whole thing is this like screeching halt to the nation of Israel that right from the very beginning turns their hearts towards idolatry. And God is frustrated. This is all in Exodus 32. In Exodus 33, God speaks to Moses and he tells him, hey, you know what, this has been a hard chapter, but I'm going to go ahead and send you guys into the promised land. And so you guys go into the promised land. You do it. I'm going to send you there with my blessing. I'm going to give you the land, but I'm not going to go with you. Like, this is rough. This obviously isn't what you guys want. I will send you there. Now, what's amazing is Moses and Israel both recognized how bankrupt that would be to have the blessings of God without the presence of God. And so they said, no, no, no. Moses just begged God, like, please do not do this. Like, we don't want to go into the promised land if you're not there coming with us. And Moses reminds him, he says, God, what is it that makes us special? We are the people that are known by our God dwells in our midst. This is who we are as a people. But I step back from that, and I think of my church experiences, and I think of my own heart now, and I think, would I be okay with all of God's blessings in this life or maybe even in the life to come without God's presence? Would I be okay with that? I have to say there's times I probably would, right? We want the stuff. We want the blessing, right? We want the crowds. We want the, the good feeling. We want everything going right in our lives. But man, I'm telling you, there's nothing. There's nothing, nothing that we could want in this life or in the next life that would be good for us, that would feel like an actual blessing if it wasn't for God's presence in there with us. And worship is that reminder. Worship is all about acknowledging God's presence and valuing it. Seeing, just even now, just think about this, this fact. There is a God, like right now, there is a God that exists that once upon a time, nothing in this world existed. There was literally nothing except for him. And at one point he decided to speak and his words rang out and everything obeyed by snapping into existence and being what he made it to be. There's this God that when angels are in his presence, they can't even look at him because they have to cover their faces. There's this God where anytime any of his messengers or he himself comes anywhere near a human being, they fall on their face and they're, they're worried that they're going to be destroyed because his glory is so intense. And the reality is that God is here with us right now. And when you leave here, that God is there with you when you go. Like this is the God that we worship, okay? And I think of my teenage self sitting there worried about what my friends thought is I was going to say something neat about that God, right? And I was so afraid of what people would think. And my heart was just not engaged with the reality of this God that was actually there. And so the call, the reminder in worship is 
There's a God that is in heaven. There's a God that is here on earth, right? We acknowledge his presence and we express his value to us. And so where do we go from here? I, I, in, this, in this series, we're going to spend five weeks, and we're just going to dig in. And what I want is for us to grow culturally as a church, um, grow in our hearts and our love and our response to who God actually is. It's an invitation for us to just engage with God on a deeper, more sincere, more authentic level. Okay? Here's what I want to avoid. Over the next several weeks as we do this, here's what I want to avoid. I'm going to give you another Tozer quote here, okay? He says, um, because... We are not truly worshipers. We spend a lot of time in the churches just spinning our wheels, burning the gasoline, making a noise, but not getting anywhere. Oh, brother or sister, God calls us to worship, but in many instances, we are in, uh, we are in entertainment, just running a poor second to theaters. Now, I love that quote. I think he's absolutely right. That in the church world, we often are like spinning our wheels, revving the engine, burning a lot of gas, but nothing's really happening because he says we should be in the business of worship, but actually what happens is we become in the, in the business of entertainment. And I think that's way more true now, today, than it was back when he was writing many years ago, okay? And I love how he says it too because he says when we switch from being about a people who are about worship to being a people who are about entertainment, he says we run a cheap second to theaters, okay? And I love the shade that he throws out that, okay? Because you think of, man, the church, like the best church, everything's functioning, everything's firing, all the lasers, all the, th everything, everything's dialed, the best musicians that anyone could want, and you're still running a production that's way worse than the, like, worst Hollywood movie, Right? I just love how he says, we're just a cheap second to that. What are we doing with this, with this junky form of entertainment? He says, snap out of it and remember, what are we here for? We're to be people that are worshipers, right? I mean, I would love for us to be a group of people that are not like entertainment focused and not waiting to be like coaxed into worshiping the Lord, right? So just think of it like this. You get in your car you head to church on a Sunday morning. Man, if the kids are all good and if your week's been okay, you might come to church somewhat neutral and be ready to kind of like, all right, I might be able to get there with worship, okay? And then if the band is like playing pretty well, okay, if there's a full enough sound and if everything's working well, if the singers are able to stay mostly on key, like pretty on key, if there's energy in the whole thing, okay, and if they're playing songs that you actually enjoy, right? And if those songs that you actually enjoy are played at a volume level that actually fits with your range of either not too quiet or not too loud, right? If all of those stars align, then, man, my heart is going to be just tugged into worship. And I will be there and just saying, like, Lord, you're so good. And that's what we call, I mean, I'm joking, but I'm serious. This is what we call a good worship experience in the American church now. I, I'm serious. And I, I am as guilty as anyone else in the entire world, okay? But man, what I would love is as we dig into this over the next five weeks, for us to be the kind of people that don't have to be wooed into worshiping God if everything is set right, right? But a group of people that our hearts are so set on God that the slightest invitation is enough to just pour out our praise to the Lord, right? Let's get the most off-key person in the world and have them start singing, Jesus loves me. And it's like, my heart is like, yes, Jesus loves me. This is amazing, right? That's what I would love to see. Now, I, that, I shouldn't have said that because... Our musicians are way better than the worst singers in the world. But I would love for us to be people with that just like, it, it takes almost nothing to get me from where I'm at at any given moment to worshiping the Lord. I would love to see that. And so I want to I give um, 
three calls, three challenges, three things I'd like to see in our church family as we kind of dig into this worship series and as we work together on these things. The first thing I'd like to see is I'd like to see us sing like it matters, okay? Because I think it does matter. So as we dig into this, I'd love to see us um, sing like it matters. And again, remembering, um, worship is not about singing, okay? It's not the same thing. We can't equate the two. But often, the Lord commands us to sing as we worship. And just culturally, the way we have it set up, one of the key ways that we set ourselves to say, I'm going to worship God, is through our singing together. I, I want us, we'll talk about this in the series. We want to be worshiping God through the way we live our lives, through the way we serve the people around us, through um, when we're by ourselves at home and everything else. So it's not just about the singing parts of our worship service. But I do want us, when we're together, to sing like it matters. Jonathan Edwards has this, um, this great observation where he says, I, I look through scripture, I see all the commands to sing to the Lord, and he says, I can't think of a single reason why God would tell us to speak to him in poetry rather than prose, right? It's weird, isn't it? God, God's like calling us to express ourselves to him in poetry rather than just in prose. And he's like, I can't think of a reason why it needs to be set to music. Other than this, God wants to use singing, use music to raise our emotions to a higher state so that we are, again, acknowledging and valuing the presence of God around us, right? So Jonathan Edwards is saying, look, God wants us to sing because he wants our emotion raised, because he wants us to acknowledge the truth that's there of, man, connect with me, um, be with me, experience me, value me, enjoy me, okay? So first thing, sing like it matters. That's what I want us to do. Second thing I'd love to see over the weeks ahead is I would love to see us come to worship in need and not in judgment, okay? And this ties in with what I was saying um, with, with Tozer here, but I, um, for time, I need to cut a Mr. Rogers story, but I can't, so I'm just going to do it anyways. He, he explains it like this. It's an it's a amazing story. He says this. One summer, midway through seminary, I was on a, vaca- a weekend vacation in a little town in New England. I decided on Sunday to go hear a visiting preacher in the town, little town's chapel. By the way, I forgot to say, do you guys know that Mr. Rogers was like a seminary-trained preacher? Like, that's, that was his thing, okay? I love him so much, and you guys will see why. So um, he goes to this little town's chapel on a whim, on a vacation, okay? He said, I heard the worst sermon I could ever have imagined. I sat in the pew thinking, he's going against every rule they're teaching us about preaching. What a waste of time. That's what I thought until the very end of the sermon when I happened to see the person beside me with tears in her eyes whispering, he said exactly what I needed to hear. It was then that I knew something very important had happened in that service. The woman beside me had come in need. Somehow the words of that poorly crafted sermon had been translated into a message that spoke to her heart. On the other hand, I had come in judgment and I heard nothing but the faults. It was a long time before I realized it, but that sermon's effect on the person beside me turned out to be one of the greatest lessons of my life. Thanks to that preacher and listener in need, I now know that the space between a person doing his or her best to deliver a message of good news and the needy listener is holy ground. You guys see, do we not all have a crush on Mr. Rogers? Come on. (laughs) That's incredible, right? And I just, what I love about it, right, is just... (laughs) He's, he's not pulling punches. Like, the sermon was terrible, right? I, like, how many garbage sermons have we heard? I mean, you guys don't know what it's like, but in many other churches, like. <laughs> and so you, we, but I'm just telling you, we do, right? We've got these amazing musicians that are up here week after week, and they're just volunteering their time, right? And they're just being a blessing, right? And so there's a way that we can enter into this and just say, man, I hope they're on point. I hope they're good enough so that I can really engage with the Lord like I need to this morning, right? Or right? We can come 
with our hearts set on our need for the Lord and just recognizing, like, uh, in my home, when I'm there, the Lord is with me. When I'm driving over here, the Lord is with me. When I come into that room, the Lord is there with me. And man, we're just going to make this noise to the Lord. And that, that space between someone that's just doing their best. I love that, that idea of these musicians, right, who have gifts, musical gifts that God gave them, right? Like musical gifts to play the guitar or the piano or something like that or to sing with their voice. God gave them those gifts, and they're just going to do their best week in and week out to just bless us by singing these things to the Lord and then we, as the congregation, get to be this group of people. That's not the audience, right? But that is members of the band because we're singing together. And that whole thing comes together in a way where just a whole bunch of people doing our best, right? Some of us have great voices and some of us have terrible voices. And we're just doing our best and we're just lifting it to the Lord. And I just love Mr. Rogers' thought. That's holy ground. Because when you come needing to experience God and you come like ready for that, then all it takes is just someone doing their best and man, we're going to be drawn into his presence. And I, I love that thought, okay? So sing like it matters. Come to worship in need and not in judgment, okay? If you're, if you're ready to find something you disagree with or you don't like or that's going to pull you out of worship, I guarantee you, you're going to find it around here, okay? Thirdly, and this is the last one, I would like to see us coming already worshiping, okay? So in the next seven weeks or the next five weeks as we do this and then for the rest of our lives. I would love to see us not coming here and then ready to start worshiping. I would love to see us come into this space, into this gathering as a family, already worshiping. We've been worshiping through the way that we live our lives, the way that we um, treat each other, the way that we serve the people around us, the way that we sing at home. And, and look, I'm going to forget. I know it. I'm going to drive up here, and I'm going to just, it's going to be a normal Sunday, and I'm going to forget oh, man, I told everybody, let's come worshiping. I'm going to forget. You might forget, but I'm challenging us to try to remember. Let's come as we approach this place already worshiping, right? So I, I was thinking of it like this. If we, um, you, you go to the hair salon, I'm told, okay? Um, you go to the hair salon because your hair is too long and you want to get it cut shorter, right? You need something done to you in that salon, right? You go to a restaurant, and I know this from experience, because you're starving, and you go, and then you, when you're there, you get fed with the whole thing, Right? But you come to a family gathering, all right? You come to a family gathering already like enjoying life and you're coming not because of what they're gonna do for you. You're coming to participate with those people and to celebrate the joys of life and the hardships and to process things together as a family. And man, I think sometimes we treat church like the salon or the restaurant and church gatherings like this on Sunday morning are just all about this. We are a family, okay? And, and, and we're not coming here for reasons to worship God, although we do our best every week to, to kind of remind us of those reasons, but we're not coming here for reasons to worship God. We come with our own reasons because we're experiencing him every day out there in the world that he made, and we're experiencing these reasons to connect with and serve and follow God, all these reasons, and then we come together, and man, we just get to unload on each other with these reasons that we have to worship God, and we come not just in the happy stuff, right, with the heavy stuff, and we explain the reasons we're hurting, the reasons we're struggling, all of these things we come, we lift them up for the Lord, and we just, man, I just want us to be that family that is just being stretched, it's just being challenged. To, it's all about what we bring to the table and not about what a few key people are going to bring to the rest of us. So I'm going to invite the band um, back up, and we're going to sing a little bit more. And I want to invite you to, um, let's sing like it matters, okay, because I really do believe it does. And um, I just want to say this. We're going to, over the next five weeks, we're going to be challenging you a little bit, okay? Now, I love you guys. I hope that you trust me at least somewhat. We're going to push you a little bit, okay? So some of you have come from church traditions where, man, you would raise your hands, you would dance around. Like some of you did stuff with flags that I don't even understand. Like, I don't know, okay? 
but you've come here into this space, and it's kind of like, oh, I guess that's not what we do here, okay? And so you're, you're kind people, and so you kind of, okay, I guess this is what we do when we worship. That's okay. I can do that. And I'm, I'm not trying to disparage our expression of worship. All I'm trying to say is, if you've had a fuller, freer expression of worship, I would love to invite you over the next five weeks to help us as a family to grow in our um, freedom and our expressiveness. If there's no guilt, there's no um, shame, there's no expectation. If we look as we sing to the Lord, just like we always have, I'm going to have a lot of peace before the Lord with that. But we want to invite you to just um, experiment a little bit. Try some steps of freedom. Imitate what you see some of your brothers and sisters are doing and say, is this a helpful way for me to express myself before the Lord or not? And, and if that looks like falling on your knees, raising your hand, clapping around, hooting and hollering, like, I don't know. It doesn't, like, I, it, there's no judgment and there's no expectation, but we are going to intentionally just nudge you a little bit, okay, um, during this worship set and in weeks to come of just like, hey, um, consider worshiping like this. Try raising your hands, you know? Try, like, we're going to just push you a little bit, and I, I encourage you, like, be a good sport. Let's try this out. Let's offer ourselves before the Lord. If it's not for you, you don't have to do it. It's no big deal. There's no judgment, um, but we want to just grow in that, and I, I also want to finally say this, and then we're going to sing. Um, some of you, I'm talking about this, and some of you are like, Yes, 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 let me worship, I'm ready. And some of you are like, I am hurting severely, and I'm feeling distant from God, and it's going to be really hard for me to say some of these things to now, right? I think sometimes a worship experience means coming before the Lord, and you might have tears in your eyes, not because you're happy, but because your heart is in pieces, and just saying, God, I feel so distant from you. But in you, when you do that, you're acknowledging God's presence, and you're valuing it enough to wrestle before him, okay? And so don't feel like you have to feel a certain way. Don't feel like you have to have a certain level of joy or anything like that. We're just simply engaging with the Lord, and we're telling him, we see you, we know that you're here, and we value that you're here with us, and we're just going to pour out whatever we can to the Lord. So let's, um, let's worship together.